It's the Redbird Reboot Podcast. Are you ready to get rebooted, Cardinals fans? He settles down, at least in the zone, and does not stop running. Blake Murphy. This is the identity for the Arizona Cardinals. The run defense is just horrendous, and it's been horrendous for the Cardinals for a long time. And Marcos Labrada. He's going to bring over his philosophy. It should make it better. Present the hottest NFL podcast from the country's hottest state. He should be turning around around the logo. Actually, some breaking news we can cover here. This popped up just about, oh, six minutes ago. It's Redbird Reboot. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome into the Redbird Reboot Podcast. We have me here at Blake Murphy 7, Pancake Soul, Marcos Labrada, at least. That video, which was produced by Johnny Kinsley at Brickwall Blitz, at least, is our new intro video. Uh, thank you guys, at least, so much for joining us today. Uh, we've got Seth Cox as our guest here, obviously, works for a little website called Revenge of the Birds. And also is part of the original Draft Breakdown podcast, along with your co-host, Justin Higdon. And this is the time of year where the NFL Combine kicks in. We are obviously not nearly as students of college prospects as we have been of the Arizona Cardinals. So bringing an expert on like Seth is one of the things that we can do to be able to ensure that we know what, we know what we're talking about since he knows what he's talking about. Seth, welcome on to the Redbird Reboot. What's up, guys? Appreciate you guys having me on. And experts a strong word, but I appreciate uh, I, pr- I appreciate the kind words. That's awesome. It's good to have you on, uh, Marcos. How are you doing, sir? We've had a week off last week. We're here back with the Arizona Cardinals. A little bit of news that popped up we can talk about. But uh, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing good. Um, it's starting to warm up here in the valley already. So, like last time, I had any type of activity. Like I had to get like the ice out of my windshield or off my windshield. And now it's just like normal temperatures. We're just feeling it, but Hey, it's part of what it is to live in the Valley. Oh, that it is been out here for uh, my whole life. So it's, uh, it's knowing that the summer's just around the corner. What else is right around the corner is going to be the NFL scouting combine. And uh, we're here to be able to look at a little bit of news before we get into that. Um, Cardinals actually do part ways with two important members of their scouting department with some news that came out. First, it was that the Cardinals were going to be parting ways with Quentin Harris, followed by the news that Drew Grigson, uh, brother uh, Ryan Grigson, the longtime Colts general manager, he's been with the Cardinals for at least a decade plus for the most part. This is some interesting news that felt inevitable because of the new era, Monty Ossonfort coming in, a lot of Longtime Cardinals guys under the Steve Kime era have left. Um, Seth, this felt like it was something that we knew was going to come. It's more, I think, of just showing that there's a new sheriff in town with Austin Fort. And in a lot of ways, given the Cardinals draft history, it probably is rough to say when you've seen that loyalty on one hand. But on the other hand, you can kind of see the need to almost turn over a new leaf. And hopefully those guys will be able to do well elsewhere. Yeah, and it's just one of those situations where... I, I've seen some fans uh, critique it or like have negative opinions of it. And for me, it's like why we've lamented for years how how Bidwell's never given over the reins or, you know, it's always, uh, you know, it's always the same thing. But he's finally seemingly giving over 
the reins to Monty Osfort, letting Monty do his thing. And people are like, I just don't understand the timing. It's like, well, I think part of it is he wanted, he wasn't going to come in and blow out the staff because that staff had done all the work for the 2023 draft. And then he gave these guys a year and it was reasonable. It, it was it made sense for him to give these guys a year to see if, if they were going to fit within the new system. Uh, you know, I talked about it a little bit with Jess the other day and, and it's not, you know, it's not the Patriots way, but it's similar to that. Like they want to have a Cardinals standard. And if, if Quentin Harris and Drew Grigson aren't buying into the new standard and I'm not saying they're not or or don't fit into what the new standard is, then it is time for them to move on and not, you know, string them along and, and give them a chance to be successful elsewhere, like you said. And, you know, it's to me, it's exciting because it's something that's never happened in Arizona with the Cardinals. Like we've never seen outside of the Bruce Arians coaching staff, we've never seen the organization kind of reset from the top down with outside Arizona uh, people. And and so to have that finally is going to be interesting. Now, the the one worry is if it doesn't work, if it just reverts back to, um, you know, the Arizona Cardinals way of, well, Michael Bidwell's, you know, lackeys and those guys. And that's what you, that's what the worry becomes if it doesn't work is that he's like, I tried something different. It didn't work. And now I'm just going to go back to what at least works once every decade uh, for, for the Cardinals. Yeah. No Cardinals head coaches lasted longer than six years under the Bidwills. The hope is that you're able to see a true culture reset. Um, I also agree and think that when you look at the past draft failures, you know, talk about fit, the fact that they did nothing but hype up Dave Sears, who came in from the Lions, kind of seemed like it spelled the end as far as either Quentin Harris keeping that role or seeing a guy kind of get promoted into that major role. It does feel like it's one of Monty's guys that's in there. And it was similar to we talked about last year with Jonathan Gannon bringing in a new strength and conditioning coach. I don't think that it's anything as far as bad news. Uh, and a lot of what I think with Cardinals fans moving forward should be excited is it's the first time, like you said, the organization will actually have change that comes from outside the organization, from teams that have been able to be there and want it before. Um, because even with Bruce Arians here, like you said, nothing really changed as far as the scouting department. Their draft picks were very, very contingent sometimes on not having guys that were able to develop, but guys who could just play right away. So it's a new approach and um, I'm all here for it. Well, uh, and the other, Oh yeah, go for it. it. Well, and as you mentioned with Dave Sears, man, like I don't think that gets enough talk because the, one of the better drafting teams the last like three or four years since uh, Brad Holmes went over to, to Detroit has been Detroit. And, you know, he was, he was heavily involved in that department. And so, for that, you know, to come over here and him to, you know, be a part of that is is impressive because you and I have talked about it off air, you know, in our in our text and and things like that. And the the model they should follow is incredibly similar to Detroit. I mean, you look at the the number one pick situation with a quarterback, right? That's that's already getting paid a lot of money and it's kind of baked into the the program. 
and then adding talent along the lines and, and things of that nature, as opposed to, you know, trying to fill the same holes over and over again. Um, you know, it was, it was basically like groundhog day with, with Steve Kime trying to draft inside linebackers all the time. Um, and, and instead now you get a guy with a fresh perspective that's been a part of a really, really impressive rebuild in Detroit. And now, you know, he gets to a chance to do the same thing in Arizona. Hey Seth, um, I know that you do a lot of like extensive like work when it comes to like uh, the off season. Basically, your I believe like your season kind of starts like when that last snap of the Cardinals uh, season like pretty much like is taken over, and then the game's over, and then you know it's the you know off season to a lot of people. They say, hey, this is the start of the actual season for me because now we get to scouting, and uh, that was one thing that I really liked about listening to your podcast with like all the info and all the scouting and everything. So I've always wanted to ask you like with this extensive, like knowledge of like every prospect that, you know, that's coming in and whatnot, like what was it something that you gravitated towards because of the Cardinals or was it just a passion of yours? Yeah. I mean, it was just the Cardinals. I mean, growing up, unfortunately, as a Cardinals fan, they were never good. So it was always like looking ahead to the draft and, and, so with that, you know, it ends up being one of those situations where, all right, who are these guys? And, and my kind of passion for it actually took off, uh, I think it was 98 when uh, they drafted or when during the Andre Wadsworth draft, mm. um, you know, I think that was the year they had the second pick and they traded down with uh, or no, they had the third pick and, you know, they, they took Wadsworth and, and all of that. And, you know, it was just interesting that they were sandwiched in between obviously Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson. And they took a guy in Wadsworth who, who didn't make it, uh, you know, who had injury problems. And it's like, what, what was the process and why did it not work out? And, mm -hmm. you know, as a, I was 12 then, and, you know, just kind of going through it from there and, and, because every year they were drafting, you know, near the top of the draft. And, and so you kind of are always looking at who fits and what fits and, and what way they're going. And, you know, the next year they take you know, LJ Shelton because they, they desperately need a tackle. And, and instead of taking, you know, a guy that can play and then, and, and just, you know, it goes on from there and you're looking and you start to realize the need to balance of, of, you know, the needs versus the, the best player and, and how that works and, and things of that nature. And even a guy, you know, in, in 2000, when they draft a guy like Thomas Jones in the top 10 and he doesn't work out and then goes on to have a borderline hall of fame career outside of Arizona, because that's just how it works. And you're, you're going to yourself, like, how does that work? Like, how does Arizona draft a guy? He he's no good. And then he goes to Chicago and, and New York and ends up, you know, putting up, you know, 1300 yard seasons for, for five straight years. Like, why are they continually missing? And, you know, at the, when you're young and, and dumb and you're like, Oh, I want to do this for a living. And then you realize uh, the time and, and energy it takes to even like get a sniff and, and Blake's, you know, done that. And I, you know, admire that he took that chance and, and actually spent a, a year uh, learning and seeing what it was like. And it was like, yep, not for me, because that's the thing is like, it's so easy to talk about it, but like to do it is just so difficult. And it's such a long and arduous 
process to get there. And so, you know, I, I really enjoy just the whole aspect of it. But for me, it's always been about the, the team building um, of, of, you know, through the draft and, and how the process plays out. And ironically, how bad the Cardinals have always been at it. Yeah, that was, I think, at least the time that I really got into the draft was around 2010 because that was coming off of the Kurt Warner retirement, coming off of uh, the Derek Anderson season. I think I thought to myself as just like, you know, a young 17, 18-year-old kid. I'm like, all right, now how how hard can it be to find a quarterback? And that led into probably about a decade or so before the Cardinals drafted a actual first-round pick at the quarterback spot for the first time since Matt Liner, and of course it was Josh Rosen, who, as we all know, did not end up panning out in the NFL. Um, It's just very interesting to see that the draft ultimately is, in a lot of ways, it's not as predictable as we like to think, while at the same time, we do notice that there are teams, whether it's the Ravens, whether even it's a team like the Seattle Seahawks, that seem to be continually pretty good year in and year out because they have a good process behind And that's something I think we can talk about today when it comes to the NFL Combine, especially with how this team is going to for the first offseason in a long time. It's not the work of Drew Grigson. It's not the work that the other previous Cardinal scouts were. This is kind of Monty's first true draft with this new scouting system that they're bringing over with having a full offseason to be able to look at the needs of the team that they have knowing going in, not just having to lay a culture. What do you think, Seth, as we go into this combine process? Do you think that there's going to be any differences this year with what the Cardinals look for? Or do you think it could be more of the same? Or is it too early to know so far from what we're seeing with Arizona? There's a lot of ways they could go entering the combine this year coming off of that 4-13 and season. Yeah, it's just there's so many unknowns, and I'm kind of – you know, we started to get an idea and we joke about the linebacker situation, but we started to get an idea of like what, what Steve kind of valued and when, where he valued things and, and things of that nature. And, and I think it's a little too, or, I mean, I think we know that Monty just from his time in new England and, and Tennessee values offensive and defensive line, but you know, this draft may not afford itself to, go early with defensive line. So, you know, is that a situation where he's just going to stockpile guys on day two every year and see if one of them becomes a top tier player and then kind of rotate through the others or, uh, and then obviously he values the quote unquote premier positions, obviously grab a tackle uh, corners and, and things of that nature. So do, does he continue that trend uh, with the wide receiver, which has you know become a premium position in the NFL? Um, does he grab another tackle early? Uh, and so we'll see how that kind of unfolds. And I think that'll tell us what his philosophy is more than anything. Is the other thing is you know, and you kind of talked about it the other day on Twitter a little bit was you know how many bites at the apple or or does he want to get? And you know, is is getting a guy like a Marvin Harrison Jr., if they have that opportunity, more important than potentially getting two or three additional bites at that apple. Um, you know, I have a belief that that at some point you need to cash in uh, on all those picks and go and grab what would be considered a pre- premier or premium prospect, you know, and if you evaluate – Marvin Harrison in that vein, then that's what you go and do. Right. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see just how that philosophy continues to unfold, because I think, I think for a lot of player or a lot of GMs, you don't 
get that until year three. Like you don't see how that plays out until year three um, and, and see what he wants to do. But with how big this rebuild was, um, it's also kind of difficult because, I mean, you know, even in your intro, uh, Marcos is talking about how bad the run defense is, right? And yeah. they basically kick that can down the road going, we can't do everything at once and we don't want to do any half measures, which is a nice adjustment, right? That's a nice change from the previous regime. So we'll just admittedly be bad this year guarding, you know, defending the run and, and eventually it got to being bad defending the pass as well. And so uh, we'll see how that plays out because like I said, it it's almost it was almost overwhelming last year how much they wanted or needed to do. And they seem to focus mostly on fixing what was a broken offense. And at the end of the year, you know, with those last eight games with Kyler, they have a top 10 offense in the NFL. And so, you know, do you finish that and then start the puzzle of the defense? Or do you say, hey, we're close enough with that a full year. Let's start addressing the defense. So all of that, you know, is going to be a fun thing to watch. No, I definitely am very excited to see what the Cardinals are going to do. Um, let's go and talk about Combine and what it stands. Uh, I should say for for a lot of fans is there's two things that come out of the Combine. One is hype because it's where you get to have this player ran this speed. This guy didn't live up to it. For the teams themselves, one of the things that a lot of times jams and others will say is that the testing may be important um i think it's great to have as a standard it's not like you've got one guy running on ohio state's track the other guy running on his d2 track that he's got at the small school like you know john brown at pittsburgh state for example but a lot of people also it's the medical checks and some of those interviews that they say are super important and that's where a lot of business gets done at the combine whether it's with trade rumors, with guys being able to figure out like where they want to be for certain players, perception. We then get a lot of smoke and mirrors up until the night before the combine. And then usually either things become clear as mud or it ends up being essentially, oh, wow, the mock draft that all these guys leaked turned out to be uh, completely wrong. And I should have uh, should have really gone back a little bit earlier to see like just what the beginning of the process was. What do you feel like the combine is for and a lot of it now is it's this super hyped up event that we have for the NFL when really in the past, it wasn't given a whole lot of coverage. What's like the real meaning of the NFL combine when it comes to the cards? You know, it's just one of those situations now where uh, I think there's, there's a lot of value in it, but at the end of the day too, you know, there's so much information on these guys now. I mean, I have a, I have an eighth grader who's, out at events right now and he's getting timed and measured as a as a 14 year old like they they start measuring and timing these kids literally you know at 13 14 years old hey cliff is going to offer him an eighth grade then (laughs) right exactly and and so it's just one of those situations man where there's not a lot of unknowns right like we're in the information age and like i said they're they're charting these kids from the time they're in seventh and eighth grade and and you know you kind of watch their development so i think for it's for a lot of us it's just getting now we have the information and we're able to kind of decipher the information and and you know the fact that they still do hand time on like these guys for the scouts and and you can vouch for this blake right like that they're like oh this is what we timed them at it's like well dude they have a laser time 
like why not just use that no no we got him at this and you're like you're like how old are you like you got to average guys... 40 times in your head we're like oh he ran a four five and a four 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 i gotta average those two scores out and it's like well i mean like you never really are gonna be able to like have proper data like if a bunch right. of people are all measuring it together sure but like you know you can have one person with a clicker is like how it used to be now it's just very very different as far as for how advanced you can get into with some of these metrics even measuring game speed of players with chips right. in their pads on the and i and i do think that's going to start to take precedent over other things right like obviously the 40 has some usefulness but it's not uh the be all end all when you, like you said, you have game speed now and you have a guy like Xavier Leggett who let's say he runs a, you know, a high four, four, low four, five. And people are going to be like, Oh, you know, it, he's not that fast. Um, but at the same time, he's like, I think he had like three of the fastest just miles per hour time in college football last year. And you're like, well, here's the difference. Like this is a guy that's six, two, 225 pounds that was one of the fastest guys in college football on the field and so does i mean can you imagine if we had anquan bolden's data back in when he was at florida state and oh, instead gosh. of running a four seven six he he ends up being like a 21 mile an hour guy and you're like oh you know this guy deserves to go in the first round but you I, know I, I, I sorry i don't mean to interrupt you i wanted to say something about that as well that is very interesting that like that was what held him back. I mean, like that 40 time. And, you know, we put so much like importance into that 40 time. So just like how you just mentioned, hey, we had his information sooner. He probably would have been like, hey, this guy's a freak of, of talent as a receiver. Right. And that's just it, man. I mean, we're just in a different age where now we just have so much information. You know, I was I was talking to Justin about it the other day. And, you know, these high school metrics that we have are, like I said, like I, I've seen it first person, like what they do now. And, and it's crazy. And Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, you know, is, is being billed as being a sub four or five guy at his size, which is just like straight up absurd. Um, but the the craziest thing about Marvin Harrison Jr. that I've seen is that his short shuttle time maybe the fastest ever recorded and so yeah. like this this is a guy under four seconds i believe at least yeah six three two at ten is like uh, what <laughs> that's mine yeah and and he's supposed to be like a sub three nine like he allegedly can run a, like he allegedly ran in high school a three eight eight which is like utterly absurd and and so when people are like well you know he's not he's not an after the play threat you're like no, that's just not how Oklahoma or Ohio State used him. Like he can do it. Like the fact that he runs a sub four shuttle, but if he's like a, under a three nine shuttle, there are very few, if any, receivers ever that that are that athletic. And so, you know, that's just the thing is is we have so much more information now that we can you know, we can make decisions off of, but some guys still get caught up in the like, oh, well, you know, he's six four and he doesn't move that well. It's like, where do you get that he doesn't move? The, oh, well, on the tape. It's like, what tape are you watching? What are what are you watching that other guys aren't that make you say, oh, this guy's more athletic or this guy's quicker than he and it's like it's like there's no there's no metric. Like you're just basically basing that off of something that 
you believe you're seeing. And so, you know, it's just, we're just in a day and age now where it's like, do you trust your eyes? Do you trust your, the numbers that you, you get, or, you know, do you really have to piece the two together to kind of find the the best results? And I think that's where we're at now is like, it's gotta be, you gotta be willing to, to work the two together to see if the numbers that come out of the combine show up on the, on the field and things like that. Like I've seen guys mention about like Cooper Dijon that he's not athletic. And I'm like, this is a dude that is like one of the most athletic players, uh, in college football, like just because he didn't, you know, or just because he's not going to test doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, he was a state champion, hundred meter, you know, guy and things like that. Like there's elite athleticism there. Um, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to like get into everything and be like well he wasn't a sub four four guy so i can't you know he can't be a first round pick it's like no the guy moves well he's you know got elite uh change of direction and great hips and and he's an explosive athlete like now if you're concerned about the the injuries okay i can take that like at least i can i can accept that but like if you're just going to be like uh, dismiss him it's just such a it's just such a weird uh day and age because we do have the information and sometimes people want to be like oh no that's not what i've seen all right guys um i have to uh obviously i have to step away from the podcast because i had a, a little bit of an appointment i'm so glad to have you here seth uh, i've been like wanting to like actually like have you on a podcast and you know someday you know because i I think you're one of the like you're you're like a logical mind so you i've listened to your podcast and you think think you think things not through like uh how you feel but a lot of times through logic so i like to you know say uh say thank you for that um also like love your work during the off season with your prospects and just like you just mentioned when it came to like people's evaluations people value different things but for some reason when they comes to the 40 time it's like it's overvalued you don't run uh, like a sub four four or a sub four five you're not even considered a first round pick that is not true because when it comes to movement it comes to movement it comes to concentration and it comes to like the ability to be able to extend uh your arms as far as possible from that corner be able to make that catch in 50 50 ball situations but Anyways, guys, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. And uh, like I said, I'm glad to like have you on the podcast. And I'll see you later, Seth and Blake. Thanks, Marcos. I appreciate you, you man. Mm-hmm. Take care, Marcos. And with that, let's transition talk a little bit about some of these highly touted players at the Combine this year. Uh, obviously, there are... Um, a lot of athletes this year, particularly at the wide receiver and offensive tackle place. Um, one thing that every single year is worth reading, at least through the athletic, uh, where he writes now, Bruce Feldman kind of comes out with his college football freaks list ahead of the season. And a lot of times the guys who are on that list are essentially projected and end up as first round overall picks because there is a tax that you end up paying for athleticism. Those are the guys who may not end up booming like say a Cooper cup in the third round, but there are guys who are still going to be testing measurably higher and more athletic than their peers. Um, One of the examples I think from a year ago is you look at Paris Johnson with how he tested was 
essentially tested into a really solid category to be able to be a top left tackle, especially at that size and that frame. Uh, this year, his former teammate is one of the guys who is also on that list and the guy that everyone's talking about in Marvin Harrison Jr. And when we talk about athleticism, it's not just how fast a guy runs in his underwear. Teams will also look at what did they do as far as in the weight room and in terms of some of the specific drills. So this is a guy who coming into last year. This is Feldman talked about how he would bench press up to 380 pounds. Um, there's the 225 bench press. He did 20 reps of that, has squatted 500 so not just is there strength there. Um, he also had a broad jump of 10 feet, eight inches, clocked into a 3.94 in the shuttle, which according, like we say, for offensive linemen, if you clock under five or six seconds or so in that shuttle, like you're testing into an elite type of threshold. You talk about a sub four shuttle and then being able to run still at 23 miles an hour. That is an absolutely insane amount of athleticism. It's one of the reasons why there's been a lot of talk this week and we can dive into it or not. There's been people who've had Malik neighbors ranked ahead of Marvin Harrison Jr. in some places saying that he's a bit more explosive. But I think a lot of the relative score for any of those is recognizing it's one thing to be explosive, but when you talk about explosiveness at that size and being just as explosive, I think I'm one of those few people who've probably said, hey, look, if Harrison Jr. goes, I'm fine taking Malik Neighbors at four, but I'm just not willing to jump onto this path with other people that have him ahead of Harrison, especially given just how freaky I think a lot of people don't realize Harrison Jr. actually is. Yeah, and like you said, Neighbors is a, I mean, he, the fact that, like, we always have to, and not here, but like we always have to, like take shots at one person in order to, like prop up another person. It's just such a weird thing to me, and and so like for, for the neighbors Harrison, it's like what do you prefer? And so like if you prefer a guy that that's more of a you know, a guy that that gets a lot of his stuff in the short, um, that's that's asked to win with the ball in his hands. Um, that's fine. And, and I don't have a problem with that, but like, I think people get overly, they, they look at that and they, they just assume it's an immediate translation. Right. And, and there's very few guys that translate in that, that vein. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've got, you've got guys like, uh, Justin Jefferson, you've got guys like obviously Tyreek Hill, but but what are they doing and and is it something that another wide receiver can do or and i don't want to say safer because that makes it sound you know different but like is a guy like marvin harrison that wins consistently yeah like this clip you're showing like i it's a great play by neighbors i don't know how much that translates to the nfl right like to take a pass and and be able to outrun um, linebackers that take a bad angle or just aren't as athletic. Like that's just, that's not something that I, I look at and go, Oh, that's an, uh, that's an elite play. Like that's an elite college play. Don't get me wrong. Like phenomenal. But like, I just don't see that as a translatable play where they're going to be able to get to the sideline and and score a touchdown and obviously that play got called back i think on a hold there at the end but like it's just a, it's just a weird concept to me because i thought the initial route him understanding 
where the zone is and sitting in sitting down in the middle of that zone is actually the great part of what he did but i just don't know how translatable the last part of it is Yeah, and like you said, when it comes to routes and angles, there's a lot as far as with guys understanding some of the basics when it comes to separation football. In a lot of ways, it's a chess match where there is perception of um, what a guy is capable of and then recognizing the hash marks are going to be smaller, things are going to be tighter. One of the things that I at least like about Neighbors is that what we have seen that can translate is he's incredible at not just the catch point but i think he's going to test with a pretty high vertical when we watch some of what he has done overall in the field and where the modern nfl game has kind of designed guys to be able to get open a bit more with the strong running game being able to see i i think if you wanted to talk about a brandon Ayuk type of player there's spots where i can see that being the case with a lot of the downfield um and there's also you know there's spots in like the quick passing game being able to at least see but like you said when it comes down to a lot of the high level traits, like people have said, Hey, I would probably take him like neighbors because he doesn't have a really high yards after the catch. Well, uh, as far as Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm like, well, in a lot of cases, then you probably can see where, imagine if Larry Fitzgerald came out today where he did not have a high yards after the catch, there was a huge amount of jump point. A lot of people would probably be able to say, Hey, is this a guy that like doesn't separate the way other guys do in the NFL? And then you watch the tape and go, Oh, he's getting like instant separation right at the line where his reaction speed is getting him open and his route running is so nuanced and his hands, of course, being the size that they are. I think that a lot of what you can say in different places is we get really caught up in, hey, being able to have that hot take. And I think we've talked about this, I know, before in our group text on sometimes you'll get a guy like a Lance Zierlein is like, hey, like I've got neighbors here because uh, I like this better. I like this better. I think it's fine to have some of those opinions. But I think that's a lot of times we see people will focus too much on maybe a really, really good piece of pizza. And then a lot of times you got to remember, Monty Austin for even talked about this on the radio, which is, I think, one thing that I'm looking forward to. You put together the entire pie is what you need to look at a prospect. And I think that while Neighbors has a lot of really great and solid pieces, so does Marvin Harrison Jr. And at a much bigger size for what's relative there. It's where I think I can say, hey, if you want to talk about Malik Neighbors as being a guy who is good enough for the Cardinals to take at a number four overall pick, at least, I'm like, I can get on board with that. I think where I draw the line is when you're going to say, and we have him over the likes of this guy who, in my opinion, is just a better overall um, player, especially compared to other guys, at least in the league. Like He's going to probably test into that top five range. I don't think that's a negative on Malik Neighbors, but I don't think that you take the positives of people talking about Neighbors, whether it's some of the yards after catch, being able to have that acceleration. I don't think that you take that to knock a guy down a peg. And to me, that's something that I think is an error that maybe not just a lot of fans make, but a lot of actual NFL scouts will also make that same mistake because people are ultimately humans having to make these judgments. Right. And you bring up Larry and and we were talking about this. Uh, Justin and I were actually talking about this the other day. And I think it was Roma Dunze who received a like Larry Fitzgerald comp. And and Justin was like, do people not remember what he did his last year at Pittsburgh before he was drafted third overall? Like, do they not remember one? He should have won the Heisman. But two, uh, he put up one of the greatest 
receiving years in the history of college football yep. with like you and me throwing him the ball. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was just such an absurd, absurd season um, that year at Pitt and his quarterbacks were Rod Rutherford, who was a sub 60, who threw, you know, a sub 60% completion percentage um, and 37 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. He threw 22 touchdowns to Fitz and 15 others to any other receiver. Like that's, that's what was crazy about the whole situation. And, and people are like comparing Odunze and it's like, Odunze is a really good player, a good prospect, but like, are we really going to compare perhaps the greatest college receiver ever to a guy that played with two other guys that are going to get drafted in the top 100 and a quarterback that's going to get drafted top 100. Like, I just don't think we take into account what he did. And, and, you know, to that extent too, it's like people want to get on Marvin Harrison for this year. Right. And it's like, it's like the fact that he put up basically the same numbers with a guy in, in uh, Kyle McCord, who is not a, bad quarterback but is a massive massive step down from cj stroud Mm -hmm. like that should speak volumes to what what he is as a prospect um and and should talk even you know give you even more of like a oh this dude is going to be special type stuff as opposed to being like well i don't see him do x or y or z enough so so like i i prefer this guy um it's just a wild it's just wild how how we go about these things yeah no kidding i mean gosh like you want to look at the offensive rookie of the year in cj stroud who essentially has lifted not just the texans of the playoffs but lifted them out of a top 15 pick for the cardinals this year unfortunately and then you look at what kyle mccord's play was to the point where without them on the field ohio state just was essentially just run over in their bowl game. And I think that's a good summary of recognizing that while we talk about the idea of how football is ultimately a team sport, not only are you as strong as your weakest player, you're also as strong as your strongest players. And that was something where they were distributing the ball a lot around the field in that 2022 season where there was the 1,200 yards and 77 catches. This year, Harrison Jr., they did a lot more of the deep throwing in the passing game. He still ended up putting the same number of touchdowns. He had a 75-yarder, I believe, this year. And like you said, looking at how it goes with quarterbacks and guys who are able to produce, Larry was putting up 1,000-yard seasons without Cardinals quarterbacks. But then when you do see him get a talent like the Kurt Warner, the Carson Palmer, even in his last year with Kyler Murray, you can see that rookie season in which he was able to get open um, and before, you know, Older players run out of steam down the stretch. Uh, that's something we saw with AJ Green. Is something we even saw with Larry after the Detroit Lions game. It just shows when you have those type of talents together, it does indicate part of why I think a lot of Cardinals fans have been looking at saying, hey, maybe we need to get a better offensive lineman. Like, don't worry about receiver, just give the guy time. I think that there's a balance to it where I could say, yes, you do need to have a good line. And you need to have weapons. This year, the Cardinals had one of their best offensive lines of the past couple of years when it came to, if not maybe stability, we got to see them as a dominant run blocking team that was decent in pass pro. Cardinals were still 30th in receiving yards. Obviously, quarterback plays a part there, but I think when it comes to team building, this is something where what Steve Keim 
would do in the past, and I think the Cardinals can change in the future, is recognize a need to kind of have one of those top players. It may not matter if it's Harrison Jr. or neighbors in the end. Maybe it's about getting more picks, more bites at the apple is the approach. But it does feel like the way that you build a team in a lot of ways does start at the combine for not just hitting on your first round picks and second round, but finding those later round type of players. The best example I can think of being a Dante Stills from last year, seeing how he does, how he interviews at the combine. There's some other college freaks this year that are on Feldman's Freaks list that we can talk about. A lot of those guys are first round talents. Uh, who are some other guys, at least to you, that have stood out throughout the process as far as being a fit for the cards? You know, I look at both of the the uh, early tackle position guys and and Alt and Fashanu and even Flaga, but something we may need to discuss if if they, you know, with the conversations about Paris Johnson, um, you know, I don't know if Flaga makes sense in that case, but you know, Alt and Fashanu would both be guys that fit what they need at left tackle. Um, and then you've got, you know, some interesting guys that are, you know, semi-flawed. And that's that's kind of what that's kind of what makes this class so intriguing, right? Like you've got you've got guys like um Marvin Harrison who look very clean, right? But then you've got guys like a uh, Kingly Sumataya, uh, who you know was one of on Feldman's freak list and and looks the part, and but he came in shorter and shorter armed than expected, right? He was listed at what six six three twenty five and came in, I think at six four, but had shorter arms, and so you're like, okay, is that a guy that can play left or right tackle? Uh, you know, you've you've got guys like Chris Jenkins and, and he replaced Mazzy Smith, right? Chris Jenkins from Michigan. And, and he's supposed to be a, a super freak on the defensive line, but did the, did, did the play of, of Mazzy Smith, who was an even bigger physical freak, mm. uh, you know, make you have pause and go, Oh, is this really, you know, like, does that translate? So that's the interesting thing to me with this stuff is that there's very few prospects that you feel just completely clean about, right? Like that you just look at and you're like, Oh, this guy should be easy. And, and, you know, we talked about Juan Cooper to John, right? Um, He's a guy that he should be i mean if he was going to run he was going to be a sub four five guy potentially um a sub four four guy at 210 pounds and now he you know now he's not going to uh to run and so you have to decide and i assume he'll probably run at the iowa pro day but like now you have to assume like where does he fit in we just got word today uh from Tony Pauline, like Byron Murphy, the Texas defensive tackle. Uh, you know, he's supposed to be 285 pounds and he's supposed to run a sub four eight. Yeah. And so you're like, oh man, this guy's a freak. But um when you look at it, you're like, you know, if he with him and Tavondre Sweat, 
both on the same defensive line. Why weren't they more productive and dominant? You know, so like yeah. those are the those are the questions <laughs> yep. you have with everything, and 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 which is what makes the like uh, I don't, concern is probably the wrong word, but like what makes the pause on Marvin Harrison even funnier to me is like you've got a guy that's going to test like a freak, produce like a freak. And and there's very little like which doesn't mean he won't you know bust or doesn't work out but like to have all these guys like a guy that I love uh, you know and would love on in that like ninety pick ninety range Peyton Wilson from NC State right six four two thirty five but his sh- shoulders and and knees are made of like paper mache yeah. and and he's been I think he's like a six year guy at NC State. And you're like, so you can't draft him early, but he looks like a guy that is going to 100% be a freak in the NFL. Uh, it's just a matter of like for how long. Um, right. And then the uh, what was that now? I was going to say where you take him also, because like you said, you take a look at a Reuben Foster and how he was touted as like a top five talent linebacker when he was coming out. He fell down because of not just medical, but other areas. And he just did not even make it really to the second contract in the NFL. He had an incredible, awesome first season. But then you're talking about when you're drafting these guys, you want to be able to pay them a second contract is like the ultimate goal versus just using them through. Because as we've seen, while running backs and linebackers are guys that just get beat up in the NFL, if you get a linebacker or a running back that you can sign to a second contract, that is huge because it means that not only were they productive, they are productive to the point where you wanted to keep that player more than, hey, let's let them hit the free agent market. Someone else can pay them. They were productive for us, but we don't feel like they're going to be as productive moving forward. I agree with you. That's the risk and what a lot of these medical rechecks at the combine. It's one of the most important things that you can have as far as a team for having that data and that information. Yeah, and, and you look at it, you know, you mentioned some players and stuff or want to talk about some players you know wilson's obviously one uh you know we've talked about the wide receivers uh we've talked about cooper DeJean, but but you got guys like you know byron murphy uh who look like a, a great fit you know at the end of the round one you got jared verse the edge rusher that if they trade back in the middle of the first round that looks like he would fit i mean uh chop robinson the the edge player from penn state they always breed freaks there right like those are that's one of the you know, best programs in the country. If, if you want to get juiced up to be a, a, a potential, you know, top 100 pick in the NFL, but then there are guys, you know, that come in like, uh, like a Braylon Allen, right? Like mm-hmm. he's, I think slightly bigger than James Conner, but, but if not bigger yeah. around the same size and he's supposed to be like a, uh, a sub four five guy and 1.49 10 yard split is when you talk about like what the splits are going to be that's how quick the acceleration is going to be and that's at 245 pounds is what they're at least saying so you're talking about okay this is guys 
going to benefit from being 19 years old. He's already produced more than 2,000, I think it's a 2,500 rushing yards. Yeah, 2,500 rushing yards, over 20 touchdowns in his first two seasons. So you're talking about a history of guys coming out of Wisconsin's football program who are very dominant type of running backs. Um, the one being, of course, Jonathan Taylor as the last who did it. A lot of people are very split on the prospect, though, because of questions about with film and other areas and usage. A lot of times, I think that we do get caught up in a lot of stats guys looking at the metrics, and then you realize, hey, on the film, Kevin White is probably not that guy who should go in the top 10, whereas you can get caught up, I think, a lot of times in the film guys are kind of bashing a player, at least who may have been used in a specific spot that somehow changes in the NFL and you're able to see them be productive. It's an interesting balance between the two because I think it's very quick to be able to say, hey, look at Isaiah Simmons, 235 pounds, runs a sub 4-3. And at the same time, like looking back on it now, he didn't run the three cone at the combine, which probably should have told us that there's something going on. Right. And, you know, those those guys that have never really played a position that you're like, hey, this is the position you're going to play. It's always dangerous, um, whether it's, you know, whether it's Isaiah Simmons or Hassan Riddick or whatever. And and it's like, why don't you find what they do well and, and just put them there? You know, and, and this is just a fun class. Like, I, th- I I just feel like after after the the kind of Marvin Harrison, Joe Al- Olofashanu grouping with, with neighbors in there as well, um, I'm like, I want as many bites at the apple at that point because there's just so many intriguing prospects with, with – insane athleticism but also high upside production that you're that you're like i would just love to add these guys to the roster whereas you know in years past it was like oh this is the guy they need and and kind of move forward with that so we'll see how you know what the you know kind of circling back what the whole situation ends up being because it it just feels like they have a, a huge chance to change a lot of a lot of different things here Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the culture shift for the Cardinals we can talk about will be one area as well. You know, you've mentioned how there's some top guys that everyone knows, like for the Cardinals, they went and made a move to be able to go up and get Paris Johnson, who was pretty much the top qualifying tackle in that draft. Uh, we got to see a lot of guys for the Cardinals be able to make plays this year. There's some needs for Arizona that are primarily, at, like we've said, offensive tackle, wide receiver. Um, we can talk at least more about some of the edge rush and defensive line, which is clearly the biggest gap for Arizona. I think that there's going to be a bit of a shift as far as guys that they bring in who are going to fit that Jonathan Gannon style, guys who at least are tough, who are able to keep playing. Monty Austin Fort talked about when the uh, tape is something where you can look at off field, but a lot of times he said that the effort level you're putting on tape, that's something that shows up whether or not. And it tells you a lot about the football character of a guy. There's a lot of times NFL GMs will say things and will ultimately then kind of go in a different direction. Good example of last year where it seemed like the Houston Texans were for a long time, just not quite willing to go that full route of, Hey, we're going to go ahead and take our quarterback and our best player uh, on our board and Will Anderson. And then when the chips were kind of down and when their top quarterback was off the board, they took the quarterback and then made the move up at least to be able to get the pass rusher. I think that this year there is going to be a, 
difference where I think the team will look more at a guy who is um, like one of the examples I think you talked about um, in Byron Murphy, at least. Is he a guy who didn't have his same production? Is that a guy who knew he was going to be a first round pick? He obviously is shining in the weight room. Does a guy like a Carson Steele, who was a one FBS scholarship guy who ends up kind of running for, I think, 6'1", 233, is that a guy when you look at this is not a strong running back class? But he's a guy, at least, who ultimately is really passionate. He always seems to be in the weight room. And when you look at him play on tape, he just feels like he's one of those guys like, oh, I can see a lot of James Conner like, in the way that he runs. You can talk about another small school guy who's gotten a lot of hype coming out of the senior bowl, even to some people's list. He's gone all the way up to, uh, I think it was cornerback two for some, and Quinion Mitchell, 6'2", 200 or so, where you're talking about seeing how well he played. There's some of these players that it feels like the Cardinals would take based off of a combination of different factors. And then for whatever reason, whether it was the coaching, the team, the fit, it feels like that the Cardinals, at least in their identity, have a lot more going for them. And that's something where I think when you talk about like a Brock Bowers or some of the players, people at least have wondered, would the Cardinals just say, hey, our identity is with these two tight end sets. Why not just take the second tight end over the receiver? I think that we know some pieces of what the Cardinals identity is, but I don't feel like the Cardinals are inflexible to that identity enough, if that makes sense, to the point where I think that they're going to be looking at a specific type of player, but unlike the Cardinals, hey, we got to trade for Hollywood Brown because we need a second receiver to pair with Hopkins and he's Kyler's buddy. It feels like there's different players that the Cardinals may look for in their persona type that I think will really help show up in the back half of their picks, whether it's round three, four, five, and six, than what we saw previously with the Cardinals under the Steve Kime era. Yeah, and it just, you know, it allows them to be more flexible and look at different guys in different ways and, and find fits that maybe we didn't see before. I mean, they, they were always kind of double dipping in that that day three range for interior defensive and offensive linemen or, or shouldn't even say interior offensive linemen, just offensive linemen, and, and then these guys never hit. And it was like, well, why don't you change something? But it's like their profile for those day three linemen were Steve Kime, right? They were gritty, undersized, hard workers. And I was like, well, they lack the athletic ability to play in the NFL, man. Like <laughs> there is a baseline athleticism that you have to hit. You know, people always talk about Jason Kelsey. It's like, you understand that Jason Kelsey was one of the freakiest like athletes of all time from a three cone perspective and yeah. his, his ability, like you've talked about in short area and quickness is unmatched by almost everybody so to get to get into that you know it, it makes a difference and like you said Carson Steele's had three really solid years two at Ball State one at Ball State where he rushed for almost 1600 yards but those two years or that second year at Ball State and the year at UCLA being over five yards per carry being over five yards per touch uh, you know getting production from that especially when you were playing with a freshman quarterback who wasn't, you know, didn't end up being what they had hyped him up to be, uh, whether that was on chip or whether that was on him doesn't matter. And, and so to see him succeed that way, yeah, like he's, he's kind of that fit day three style that you're looking for. Right. Um, and, and that's what this team needs is a lot of those guys uh, that fit or not that fit, but like are willing to come in and outwork everybody to earn their spot. You know, they, they need guys that want 
to be part of the program and part of what's fixing this uh this team and and that's something i feel like that has been missed and like we said from the beginning you know that's that's got to be what it's about the cardinal standard as opposed to you know oh well this guy was a really talented player in college is he going to buy in you know can we get like no we need these guys to buy in and and want to be part of the solution to what has been a you know a long-term problem absolutely and that i think will stand out when we're looking at some of these positions so let's let's look about the positions to watch for at the combine obviously there are two that stand out in a huge way one of them is wide receiver which we've discussed we've talked a bit about the offensive tackles i know that there's obviously the two high-end guys who i think are they're good enough to take with the top four pick at least maybe that's one of those trade back areas in Alton Fashano. we've talked about some of the other tackles who maybe could be there around with 27 or in that 35 range but this is a team that just also has needs at pretty much every level of the defense you don't have enough first round picks to be able to spend for the edge the defensive line um the cornerback room obviously we've seen at least a little bit of some upside there with garrett williams late in the season but they still need to be able to have a body free agency i think is something that is going to see the cardinals be proactive but at the end of the day i could see a lot of these kind of one to two year deals and then trying to build more through the draft just because you actually have the capacity and with Kyler Murray being paid and a new GM, it does feel like what we should probably say as Cardinals fans is not who are they going to bring in at the free agency position to try to go for it and get it to the playoffs this year. But what are some of the positions that we need to watch at the combine, knowing that the Cardinals have more draft picks in the top 120 than any other team? You know, we're focusing on there's Delta the edge, but what about some of the other positions? There's athletic linebackers that we have seen the Cardinals seem to target in the mid rounds. Uh, obviously, the wide receiver position is something where there's probably another guy with size. Um, Jeff Swain being lost to an ACL. The fact that the Cardinals still probably need an interior offensive and defensive lineman. Who are some of these type of positions of need and maybe some of those players that Cardinals fans should be watching at the combine? You know, I think when you look at the interior offensive line, I think a guy like Christian Mahogany um, from Boston College who had a really nice um, season. I believe he he was at the Shrine game. He had a good week at the Shrine game. And then Bo Limmer from Arkansas both look good. Isaiah Adams was another guy. Uh, he didn't look great at the senior bowl, but I think he's a guy that could play. And then Mason McCormick of South Dakota State is a guy that's going to be rising up a lot of lists, I think, here shortly um, and, and probably end up early day three, if not late day two. On the defensive line, it's just such a mishmash of talent, man. I mean, a guy like Brayden Fisk was, was dominant for – at the senior bowl uh and he's been but he's being looked at as like a day like a late day two guy um Dwayne carter out of duke is another guy that's looked really you know that that's got some some juice to him and looks good but a guy that i really like from the senior bowl gabe hall out of baylor he's a he's a long 66 290 type of prospect that could fit in with what they need um and then, uh, you know, at the linebacker position, you've got some guys this year, uh, Junior Colson, the the Michigan player, Tommy Eichenberg of Ohio State, uh, that both look like they can, you know, they can be interior kind of leaders along there. And, and things of that nature. Um, 
you know, and then at corner, you mentioned it. I mean, obviously, Quinn, you know, Metro, Nate Wiggins, Cooper DeJean, those guys um, are are going to be nice. But a couple of guys I really like are Mike Sanderstrill uh, from, from Michigan. He's not going to have the measurables of these other guys, uh, but he looks like a guy that, you know, wants to get after it consistently and competitively. Um, and then and then a guy I love that was at the Senior Bowl, Chris Abrams Drain. I think he is a guy that's going to um, absolutely be just a menace in when he gets to the NFL. And and you know he he had a lot of success at Iowa or sorry Missouri, Missouri mm-hmm. and you know looks like he can play. And and if you got guys like Saint Shrill and, and Chris Abram Restrain, you know they're not going to be the biggest, tallest uh, guys, but those guys are are dogs that want to have that pressure of playing corner on them and love and, and kind of thrive in it. Yeah, no, you're, you're talking about a, uh, a guy who was on a Mizzou team that went 11 and two this season. Uh, I believe that their defensive coordinator just got hired actually to coach at LSU. And <laughs> so you're talking about guys who when you look at programs and where guys did what they produced, how they did what they came from. A lot of times you can see that those were the guys who were recruited, they were brought in, they were talented, the coaches coached them up, and then it kind of all came together and guys got performance bumps out of that for the most part. Um, it's interesting because we haven't even talked about the fact that there's two Alabama cornerbacks that are in the draft this year. Um, one of them, at least who started the season and Kool-Aid McKinstry has fallen, Terry and Arnold has gone up. I do think that, like you said, it's going to be very interesting to see what the Cardinals do because there's a lot of corners that I think that you like this year, but the real talk is going to be ultimately i think at the defensive line for this team just because there's going to be a lot of people who are looking at how far does byron murphy fall is jerry or i should say johnny i think is actually his name now um newton um does a guy at least for the most part like you said michael hall jr we've seen a lot of defensive linemen from ohio state seem to go a bit later at times and then suddenly almost outperform their draft stock year after year um it's going to be something that i think when we're talking about with the cardinals what they really have teams do draft for need and i think that while you could argue that this team needs a left tackle badly we'll see how free agency works if they end up bringing a guy in on like a one-year deal i do think that we're probably going to end up seeing a defensive lineman go for the Cardinals pretty early. Uh, what do you think about some of those players, at least as we go through and are looking at some of these major positions of need? Uh, the other one that I think people aren't talking enough about, maybe you've got your tight end one now in the likes of Trey McBride. Are you going to sign a veteran tight end? Do you probably draft another one regardless? Do they roll with one of the guys who are there? There's a lot of these little areas, I think with the way that free agency will shake out, all we can talk about is the prospects. And then for the most part, we can kind of guess and fit where some of those guys are. I think if there's one focus that I would have for the Cardinals this year for fans to know about, it'd probably be those defensive linemen because that to me is one of the spots that is such a need for the Cardinals. It's hard to see them passing on a guy this year, especially with how the talent stacks up. Yeah. And there's, but like you said, there's just so many like positions that you look at. So it's kind of nice because, you know, at, while it is, frustrating to be bad it's also nice that you have so many options so you know you talk about the tight end position if you you can grab a a 
Cade Stover or a Jaheim Bell, you know, on day three early and, and feel like you're getting a player that's going to contribute and be able to, to help right away. Right. Um, you know, along the defensive line, you, there's guys like Tavondre Sweat, uh, Leonard Taylor, you mentioned Michael Hall, Ruke Arono, Roro, uh, you know, these guys, even like a Mason Smith who, uh, you know, has had injury issues at LSU but was considered a top 10 pick before the injuries. And then, you know, you look at it, it this, this is a class that is really deep at wide receiver. So, yeah, if you, you can double up and you can get a guy – you know, like a Malachi Corley, like a Ricky Pearsall, like a Brendan Rice on day two, or or even, you know, on day three, grab a grab a guy like Malik Washington or or Javon Baker, uh, and and kind of flesh out your entire team. And it's it, you know, it, that's what makes rebuilds fun if you look at it and kind of take it from the right way, right? Sometimes it's hard to do that understandably because you're a fan you want to see your team win but sometimes you can look at it from this way and see that there are a lot of uh there are a lot of options and there's a lot of ways to you know rebuild this this franchise before things happen absolutely um let's do a quick look at least as we wrap up today i want to talk a little bit about the quarterbacks from two different angles one of them is just the state of where things are at before the combine begins uh, right now, the clear favorite to go number one overall is Caleb Williams. I believe that this morning DraftKings had that at a one th- plus 1,000, essentially like overwhelming favorite to the point where like, you know, you might almost think about tossing a few bucks on the opposite side because, hey, even if you waste a bit of money, there's a lot more to be had if he doesn't go. I kind of am in the camp of like reading the tea leaves. It seems very similar to the Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen year where everything shifted. There seems to be a lot of knowledge that the team in the second pick is going to also go quarterback. We're not quite sure what goes on at three, and I know there's a lot more you and Jess have talked about on your podcast for some of those different places. I think what a lot of Cardinals fans want to know, at least, is is there another quarterback that the Cardinals should even look at this year to bring in? Because being honest, Clayton Toon is a fifth-round pick. It was almost necessary because of the lack of bodies in that room last year to take a quarterback on day three. This year, I've seen some Cardinals fans have even wanted someone to like say, hey, if Spencer Rattler's there round four, which he's not going to be now, is that something that is beneficial? Or are we talking about kind of a wasted selection of the quarterback? Or do you need to constantly churn the roster and – this quarterback class in general, it feels like teams are very much set on. If you need a guy, you're going to go and get him this year. That may push a lot of those guys up, whether it's round one, round two, whether it pushes a, you know, J.J. McCarthy into the top eight. What are some of your thoughts on this year's quarterback class? And is that something Arizona should dip into? Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at it, there are some guys like Michael Pratt, Jordan Travis, uh, you know, maybe a, a Devin Leary that could that could fit. Um, Joe Milton's an interesting one, but I feel like he's such a, a opposite side of what Kyler does. You know, it's like, are, are you wanting to do that? Sam Hartman's an intriguing one, but I feel like you can probably get him in, in like round six-ish, which may intrigue people even more, right? Um, you know, those are guys that I think could fit. But the question becomes, you know, are you looking to bring in – another Josh Dobbs like and and get uh and get a veteran or are you you know or do you want to continue like you said to churn that 
that room and see what ends up working out. It's interesting because, you know, from from this, the quarterback situation, there's a lot of there's a lot of veterans. I mean, you've got a guy like Tyrod Taylor. Is he going to want to go see if he can get uh, a starting job, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and if that's what happens, then he's out. You know, same thing with Jacoby Brissett. Teddy Bridgewater walked away, right? He's done. Yeah. Um, Marcus Mariota seems to unfortunately be kind of a, a hard person to have on your roster. Uh, but, like, what yeah. what about, like, a Tyler Huntley? Like, are they going to bring him back in? You know, those situations all, all are, you know, it makes it intriguing because you've got so many options this offseason with guys. I mean, heck, a guy like Mason Rudolph, who's been fine in the NFL, is available. Uh, obviously, Jake Browning's available. He looked decent last year. So you've got some options. Uh, but, you know, or do you continue to churn that, churn that, you know, day three picks and see if you can find the guy that fits? Um, I'm always of the opinion that you you go ahead and and pull, you know, another another draft pick, and then if the guy that you want, like say a Jordan Travis, isn't available at the right pick, or he goes earlier than you expect, then you go into. Uh, then you go into the the recycled guys, you know, the older guys. But I, I think that's how you go about it this year. Um, because I, I do think you want to have a guy that gives you some confidence in, in your team. And, and if something does happen or Kyler has to miss a game or two, right, that you can go go forward and feel like you, you can compete still. Right. No, Huntley stands out. And then Browning, I think, showed a lot of people when you're able to take play action snaps from under center and manage a lot of that style of offense. The Bengals were a a tough out after um, Joe Burrow went out. We actually got to see them use a little bit more of their run game in a way that Joe just wasn't able to, with his ankle, take dropbacks from under center the same way that Browning did. We've seen at least how important that play action can be. And it's part of with Kyler Murray. I know expectations are going to be for him to sort of take the next step. Uh, last thing before we get out of here, and then we'll probably have one maybe hot take to finish up with our show for the Combine, but do the Cardinals need to look at the one position that's been kind of locked up for them for years, which has been the safety position because they've got Buda Baker, they added Jalen Thompson. Is this a spot where the Cardinals may need to look at potentially trading away a Buda Baker as far as he's getting up there in age? He's still only, I think, 27 years old. He still just seems to be as explosive. Safeties obviously can sometimes very quickly, actually, he's 28 years old, I should say now. Um, they can quickly fall off, as we have seen. This is a weird spot where the Cardinals defense, I think last year, Buda made the Pro Bowl. I don't think it did him any favors because I think he was a one high safety type of defense he was drafted to for Vance Joseph and then even the Todd Bowles era uh, that was taken over by um, the other defensive coordinator whose name I'll remember probably in 10 seconds from now. this is an interesting case because he's kind of like one of your team captains, your spiritual leader in a similar way to DJ Humphreys, but unlike Humphreys with the ACL injury, there's been discussion about if the Cardinals should move on. Do you think that the Cardinals should look at potentially trading Buda Baker, not having to pay that $17 million a year contract? And if so, and they would draft a safety, like if we even get to that situation, it would be tough, I think, for a lot of Cardinals fans 
personally just because of how much we love Buddha. But is that maybe the move the Cardinals should consider at least? And who would be some guys that you would say they should replace him with? Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, obviously, anytime that you're talking about replacing a, a guy that's been kind of the linchpin to a, a bad franchise, um, it makes it tough. But, you know, at the same time, we've talked about it, the, the salary cap implications of, of paying two safeties is just so bad, especially when you're talking about the worst defense, you know, or one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And, and I get the idea of like, oh, well, why would you get rid of your best player? But at the same time, it's like, you can't pay this dude 17, 18 million dollars. Like it just, like, it just can't continue to happen. This is a great safety class. I mean, you've got Cameron Kitchens out of Miami. You got Javon Bullard out of, out of Georgia, Caleb Bullock out of uh, SC, all fit. Um, I think Siona Vikey of Utah is a day three guy that's really intriguing. Um, you know, he was a two-way, a true two-way player at Utah uh, and, and has shown a lot. And so I think he, you know, he could fit with what they need uh, just at the safety position. Veteran safety-wise, it's just the, you know, it's the same type of thing. Like, what are you looking to get and what, what positions are you, or, you know, how long are you looking to have that guy for, you uh, you know, and, and in that case, if you're going to sign a guy, it better be for a lot less money, right? Than what you're paying Buddha. Right. Because at that point, why are you even going about it or going about it that way? I mean, obviously, a guy like, um, a guy like Eddie Jackson was just released from Chicago. So, like, you know, he's on the downside, the backside of his career. Uh, you know, there are some intriguing young guys, but do you really want to just replace Buddha with potentially a small upgrade, but uh, at, at the same price range, you know? So this is a, this is one of those situations, man. It's really, it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate these waters because it's just so different um, from what we've seen. Uh, totally agree there. Uh, last thing that we have is we got for our hot take release because you guys always do hot takes on your show. At least you can talk about there, but this comes from a at Billy M underscore nine one, one of our longtime guys we follow does a lot of combine coverage. He says, "I have a feeling Brock Bowers will not weigh in at the combine." Someone says either that or not test that load up on water weight. We saw the picture of him standing next to Rob Gronkowski. Um, this is a place where I agree that it seems like he's not going to weigh in as it may be a generational type of prospect that I think a lot of people are with his size. I think that he would probably be more likely to run a fast 40 and then not weigh in at the combine to be able to be light. Otherwise, like he says, maybe you just don't test you going at the pro day. What are some of your thoughts, at least on Bowers, as far as is that? I don't think it's even that much of a hot take with what we've seen for the most part. It's like, it's what I'm more agreeing with. No, it's, it's not a hot take at all. It's my hot take. <laughs> right. Exactly. It just seems like that's where they're setting it up for. Right. Uh, weigh in at two forty-five um, at the combine, get measured, you know, come in at six, three, two forty-five, and then go the opposite way at the pro at the Georgia pro day, you know, get, get the water weight off, get the weight off and, and run that sub four, six, that, that mid four five range and, and be like, Oh, look, he's six, three, two forty five, and runs a, a four, five, a four, five, four, uh, exactly what we wanted from a guy that is getting top 10 talk. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that will be the case. I hope that he does go and run and just does not weigh in, but that's just not necessarily up to me, of course. Uh, thanks again for the jumping on with this, Seth. Obviously, I have more coverage to follow. If you could just go ahead and plug some of the work that you and your co-host Justin do. Um, I know that you guys have different tiers for membership on Patreon with a bunch of extra shows. And guys, this 
this is draft time. If you are going to be getting the first info, some of the better info, I know obviously your show with Sully every year is a must listen for offensive line play. I'll never forget how he loved Trey Smith before the draft. And of course he went to his Kansas City Chiefs and became a Pro Bowl type of offensive lineman. Just a lot of great content, at least for people. If you want to let uh, listeners and viewers know where they can find that. Yeah, we do a Patreon, uh, the original Draft Breakdown podcast, and then we're trying to do some more free shows. Uh, life has gotten in the way for Justin. He's uh, he's traveling for work now, so it's a little bit more difficult, but we do do uh, the the Patreon shows uh, once a week and, and discuss some of the things that are going on, and then we'll have some writing stuff as, as uh, the Combine stuff hits so we can start to get some of the historical data and, and get some of these player comps in and, and – really break down everything uh you can follow uh justin and on on x at afc to nfc you can follow me at s cox uh fb uh you can follow the pod i want to make sure i get the right handle for you it's uh at uh db underscore pod so yeah i mean we ha- we're there and then yeah, check out you know blake and i right for revenge of the birds obviously and then the podcast here is up on revenge of the birds consistently um so great opportunity to you know focus not only on the draft but then the cardinals side of things you know it allows blake and i to really kind of uh flesh out our discussions and do things of that nature that you know you may not be able to do on short form like twitter Absolutely. And uh, that will wrap it up for us today. Thanks again so much for joining as a guest today, Seth. Uh, For Marcos Labrada, I'm Blake Murphy. This has been the Redbird Reboot Podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining. It's time for us now to log off. We will see you guys after the Combine.